Unplug It is a podcast talking all things St Kilda and brought to you by the wonderful crew at Marbled Meats in East Bentley. You can find them at 291 Chesterfield Road, Bentley East. And a reminder that you can order online with our promo code PLUGGER for 10% off your order and free delivery on any order over 80 bucks. Now enjoy our latest episode. Grabbed by Marshall. Dispensed with straight away. Coxon tried to kick it. It didn't really end well. Loney with a centering ball. King towering and Kent. He has that ability to kick a goal, Dean Kent. And he's put it through for their fifth of the opening term. And well done to St Kilda. Welcome to another edition of Unplug It. It comes at a time of growing uncertainty again around football in Victoria. But it does come off the back of a very successful uh, outing by the Saints, defeating the reigning premiers, and only the fifth time in our history, and the first time since 2009 that we've won every quarter of a game against the reigning premiers with a really strong performance against Richmond, a 26-point win. There could conceivably have been more than that. It was a quite a dominant display and a very impressive bounce back from the, the really poor showing against Collingwood. We spoke about the need to pass a test, and we failed the test the week before, but we passed with flying colours second time around. We can say what we like about how much the Tigers are struggling, but there's still a side that takes some beating. We've uh, had a reschedule of our match this week. We were supposed to play Carlton on Saturday afternoon at the MCG. We now play them Thursday night at Marvel. So the venue change uh, is a pretty kind one for us as well, but it does uh, now create a bit of a race against the clock for, for Zach Jones. But 15-3-93 to 10-7-67, plenty of good players, and the votes will be a lot harder this week. Nick, starting with you, uh, a really sharp showing to get us to, to two and two. And we said we needed to beat one of Collingwood and Richmond and, and we did the job. Yeah, really, really pleasing, as uh, one of our old coaches would have said. But um, it definitely a bounce back from that Collingwood game. It was That Collingwood game was, was really uh, hard to watch for, for a lot of reasons. But we spoke last week about the, the number of good signs that, and, and positives that we could take from that Collingwood display. And, uh, and you know, they really they really put a few of those to, uh, to task and, and worked hard during the week. And, and clearly they came out and, and really had a, had a game plan that they were working towards. And, and you know, by, by all reports and, and by, just from watching it, you know, they achieved what they set out to do, that they moved the ball quick, they chased, they tackled, they harassed, their pressure was intense. They hit targets, you know, which was amazing. I haven't seen a St Kilda scoreline like that, um, you know, 15-3 for, for a very long time, if ever, in 35 years of, of watching St Kilda play. Um, so that was amazing. And, and there were so many good players. That was the thing. There was, there was hardly a passenger out there on, on the field, which was, was great. Yeah, great return to the football that we've actually seen a little bit of. It's sort of been a roller coaster so far. We had half a game against North, went up, then down, and then we had up against Bulldogs, down against Collingwood, and we're back up again against Richmond. It's just get a couple of weeks in a row, nice consistency would be good. But yeah, as we're saying at the moment, we don't know where the next few weeks are going to be at the minute. It's um, at the moment, it's always been we don't know where we're going to be the next day. Yeah, so well, the time of the time see. recording this podcast, uh, yeah, it's we could. I mean, things could change whilst we're talking. They can change by the time this is published, and 
uh, it seems a, a reasonable chance that this game against Carlton might be the last game in Melbourne for a little while. I remember rejoicing last week at us drawing Port Adelaide in Victoria for the first time in seven years. I'd be I'd be surprised if that happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we know with the cases in Victoria and the border closes in South Australia to Victorians and in Queensland to Victorians that the, the prospect of hubs probably in Sydney and Queensland are looking Fairly likely, but you'd take that. You'd take Port Adelaide at the SCG or something if it was something resembling a, a neutral fixture. But, yeah, it's it's an ever-changing dynamic. But you spoke about the consistency. Hey, Brett Ratton mentioned in the press conference that we were the, uh, I think, second, I think we were the youngest team and the second youngest in terms of games experience, but youngest in age. Obviously, no Paddy Ryder and no Jaron Geary changes that a little bit. But, um that probably explains a bit of the inconsistency if we've got that much youth and, and, and that much young talent. I mean, the Gold Coast, I think, were even more experienced than we were. Yeah, and so, still getting those new players to group, um, yeah. moulded together. And um, But how many times now are we starting to see a link up between Hill and Jones and then on to Butler? It's starting to actually happen quite often. So these, these recruits are actually starting to work how we really want them to work. So, Nick, I guess from from your point of view, I mean, with the the revised schedule, and I will talk about it a bit more with the uh, the preview a little bit later on. But uh, bringing Carlton forward two days might not be the best news for for Zach Jones, but but he was important. But we did show he was close to best on ground at halftime. Didn't play after that, and we were able to maintain the rage without him. Yeah, we still played good footy. I mean, the the thing he's he's really surprised me actually. I I thought he he could play a role for us. I didn't expect him to be as good as he has been for us. Um, as you know, we we spoke during the, the off season and preseason. Um, he's been he's been really good. But it, it was good to see in that second half that our attack on the ball, our attack on the man, didn't waver even though he was off the field. Um, and, and we continued to run hard and we were, we still looked quick. You know, you, often you take take some of those quick guys off the field and all of a sudden the team looks sluggish and lethargic. And that's been one of our issues over the last few years. You, you know, you take guys like Ben Long out of the team or Gresham misses a, a week or two and, and the team looks slow, slower than, than usual. And and Jones was off and, and we still looked quick. We still looked powerful. We still looked tough. And uh, and so that was clearly something that the the group's been working on and, and Ratten and the, the coaching team has, has been working on over the journey. But um, look, it's not ideal if, if he doesn't make it up and, and those two days probably would make the difference on by all reports. But, uh, look, if, if he doesn't play, it's probably not the end of the world based on that second half. I was just saying, bringing the game forward, is Gresham able to look out of his eye yet or...? That was nasty. That was nasty. Also, um, uh, rolled the ankle or went down on the ankle just before half time as well. And then his impact in the second half wasn't as strong as it was in the first. He was great in the first half. That was the best he's looked for us. I think he had 13 possessions at half time and maybe six in the second half. So, well, not a bad effort, obviously, with Hill restricted, Gresham restricted, and, and Jones out of the game that we, uh, we were still able to win the. Uh, the third and final quarters, uh, Dan Butler, terrific again. Um, and certainly I think our defensive said, I think Jake Carlisle's last couple of weeks have been really good. Um, nine marks in each game, but a couple of his spoils, you know, able to keep Lynch and, and Rewalt reasonably quiet down there was, was pretty good for us as well. I think if if Hill's okay and, and he seemed okay after the game, as long yeah. as he, he pulled up fine the next day and he's able to, to do a bit of training, I think he plays regardless. He's, he seems like one of those guys that just needs continuity and just needs to keep playing. Um, even if he's got a couple of sore spots or a couple of nibble, niggles, he just needs to keep playing 
Um, because the role that he's in where, you know, he's really tasked with running both ways. He's the best kick by foot um, and he reads the play so well that he just needs to be in there just for that continuity for consistency. Um, so I think he plays regardless, unless something's really not right with that that ankle or, or that leg. Uh, but, yeah, Carlisle, Carlisle's looked almost back to, to what he looked before his back injury. Um, of the last couple of years, you know, he looked he looked agile. He was moving well, um, hitting contests and hitting the ball at speed, and and you could see the way that he jumped off the ground. That that he didn't seem to be hampered by any lower body injuries. Um, one of the things that when he came back last season is that he still looked slow. He wasn't able to push off the ground. He couldn't impact contests, and and you know, I'm sure everyone has seen that the, the spoil uh, where he came over over the back and and the massive fists to, to punch the ball away, but. Um, even even outside of that particular one, he was still really impressive in getting to the ball and hitting the contest um, and probably his best game for the club, I, I would think. What he does, he, he gives the outback line structure and we know that when he is out there, he does basically set up the back line. He, he'll, he'll help players, you need to be here, you need to get there. You need, and then when the ball comes to him, he does what he needs to do. It's just the structure that builds there that we can build from that back line, which seems to be working. We build from there, we build into the midfield and the forward lines, it's all fall, starting to fall into place. So that's where it starts from. It starts from that back line. If we get that right, then everything else flows into place afterwards. It shows how important structure is because you mentioned how how important Carlisle is to the structure. You look at someone like Max King, who's just new to the game, new to the team, um, you know, he's played what, four games of footy and w- wasn't his best game by any means, but just him being there and, and impacting the, the contest, being able to take a defender out of the play, even even used as a decoy at some at sometimes. Um, the importance of, of that structure and having guys that know their role is really important. And, and it seems like everyone who runs out on the weekend knows what their job is and knows what they're meant to do. Um, and, and that's something that we haven't seen for a while. Nice segue into the, the votes are pretty even spreads. Um, I mean, Jones would have been in the votes at halftime, probably falls out of contention there as well. There weren't too many guys that, that really struggled. I might kick it off first with mine, sort of agreeing with the, the medal honours on the day that Dan Butler was our best player, probably for the second week in a row, 16 possessions and three goals. The goal he kicked just before three-quarter time was enormous for us. Uh, I actually gave two votes to Jack Steele. There were plenty of players that were in the mix, but, but his clearance work and, and tackle work and grunt work was terrific and could have gone anywhere with the, the one vote. Could have gone Carlisle, could have gone Billings, uh, could have gone uh, any number of places. Tim Membry also could have conceivably got a vote, but I've, I've squeezed Rowan Marshall in. I know Nan Curvis was pretty good as well, um, so that, that was a good battle. He didn't dominate that position, but he was back to his best. He kicked a couple of goals at about 30 hitouts and, and near on 20 possessions, so that was the Rowan Marshall we're used to, and obviously it came when he was rucking solo, so I went three Butler, two steal, one Marshall, Nick. Yeah, I went three Butler again. Um, it's not much more we can say about Dan Butler. He's um, fit into the, the forward line seamlessly, and, and he, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. He looked like he knew that Richmond defense, like the, by the back of his hand, and and he knew exactly what he was doing, what they were going to do, what their plans were. Um, I gave two to Brad Hill. I thought that was his best game for the club. Um, his running both ways was impressive. His skills were good, uh, and he just he seemed to. I guess Marshall, a little bit of the, the midfield group, um, 
and show a bit of his leadership skills, which was was nice. I haven't kind of seen that yet. Um, and uh, got a fair bit of the ball. So he, he also pumped it forward, I think something like 350 metres gained, and it, that was the highest of, of any player on the ground for us. Uh, and I gave one to Jake Carlisle. Like I said, I think it was probably his best game for the club since he moved across. Uh, the nine marks and, and the, the reading of the play down back was was impeccable. And like you said, could, could have gone to anyone, Jack Billings, Rowan Marshall. There are a lot of players, uh, Jack Steele as well, that, that could have taken that one vote too. And, yeah, very similar again. Uh, again, Butler, we can't, we can't go away from that being the best on ground. It's, I think we said the, in the preview for this game that what's the chance he will come out and get the best on ground against his former team and, well, there we go. It happens. Um, two, again, i got to go with Hill as well. Um, as just given all the numbers and everything there, and that includes the time he was off the field as well. So it's the impact he had on the game when he was on the field was massive. Um, if you played the whole game, make you can just imagine what he did, could have done. Um, and for the one, I've got to go to Longer, Ben Long again. Um, he he did his job, and that's all he's asked to do. He had the one error early on in the game where he tried just to run through a few players and didn't quite get through. But we want to see him try that sort of thing. We want to see him break the lines. We want to see him clearing the ball out and um, basically taking on the game. That's what he's there for. He's there to provide that run out of the back line. But otherwise, every time he got the ball after that, he did something with it and had an impact on the game. He certainly did. And, yeah, he got better as it went along, and that's exactly right. You want to see him continuing to, to take the game on. And uh, overall, it was a pretty even spread. Ben Patton did a job again. Uh, Hunter Clark continues to uh, tick along nicely. Copfield, whilst occasionally he's a little bit jittery with, with ball in hand, uh, certainly seems to settle into matches as it, as it goes. So he's tracking well and, and hopefully stays in the side as well. Obviously, the practice match wasn't all that encouraging. We lost to Richmond by 90 points, I think, in that game. Uh, Luke Dunstan set to miss 10 to 12 weeks, which in this current era is probably the rest of the season with a, uh, a torn pec, which is a very nasty injury. So um, obviously effectively tearing the, the muscle off your chest and tough customer, Luke Dunstan. So he'll obviously work pretty hard to get back. And I still think he has an important role to play when he's fit uh, within our 25, if you will, 25, 26. But he'll miss a, a fair chunk of football, unfortunately, will, uh, will Luke Dunstan. But that was our review of the clash against Richmond. The Saints have got plenty of famous fans and plenty of fans across a number of other sports as well. And we're going to just change tack a little bit now and check in with one of those now. But uh, we have got a man who was actually the substitute wicketkeeper on tour in 1997 at the Ashes when Adam Gilchrist went home injured. He as a cross in England as the uh, relief keeper in the event that Ian Healy went down. So pretty close to conceivably playing test cricket for Australia there. But uh, a man universally regarded as one of the finest wicket keepers uh, the game has ever seen and a passionate St Kilda supporter, Chuck. Uh, Darren Berry, thanks for joining us. No worries, Dasha. Uh, probably the story of my life. I was the backup for Adam Gilchrist and I've been the backup for Maxie Hudson tonight. So uh, <laughs> the theme continues. Late call up off the bench. Uh, it's uh, terrific that you've uh, you've been able to honour that for us, but you've got a background as well. We we are actually speaking to a former St Kilda player. You were down there in the uh, in the mid eighties uh, playing under nineteens. We spoke to Nathan Burke uh, last week, and he was playing under nineteens in that same season. Hey, he was actually. When I, uh, I mean, I was playing in Country Victoria 
downhill, neck of the woods, dash in Monthaggy. And, um, yeah, I was invited down to practice, long story short. And I remember the Garrett boys from Cranbourne, Chrissy and Paddy Garrett, who were very good footballers. I think Chris broke his leg in a reserves grand final. Some, some of your boys, there, well, you're a bit younger than me. Anyway, long story short, I finished up playing, I think, three matches on country permit um, in the under-19s. And, yeah, Nathan Burke was in that side. Stewie Lowe was the captain, but he'd already gone up to the seniors. I think Craig Davenport played in one of the games, and he was a superstar back then. A um, couple of other guys were Merriman. I think Gordon Fode might have been around from memory. So, look, it seems a long time ago now. I think it was 86. Um, and I thought that I was, you know, going places. And uh, I remember hurting my ankle at Moorabbin one night towards the end of the year and uh, thought I was a chance to go up. And uh, I heard John Beveridge, who was the recruiting manager, I heard him one day uh, after one of my games in the under-19s and he said something along the lines like this. He said, I like the young kid from Monthaggy. He's got really good hands. And then someone else said, but by Christ, he's slow. <laughs> and I'm not sure that suited Dash down at Moorabbin. I was sort of Greg Burns without the skill, but that was where my passion for the Saints was born and, and I've followed them ever since. If the truth be told, Dash, as a young kid, my old man was a Fitzroy supporter and he used to take me to the Junction Oval, ironically, the former home of the Saints. So as a young boy, I was Fitzroy, you know, before you, just because Dad followed. And then as a teenager, I sort of made my own choices and playing at St Kilda in the 19s uh, with all those guys, um, I then sort of moved across and, and been a saint ever since. Chuck, you mentioned overhearing that that conversation with Johnny Beveridge, and, and obviously in the history and of the Secure Footy Club, people who Johnny Beveridge rates uh, are generally pretty good footy players. Um, was was there any hope of, of making it pro with the club or was kind of cricket it, and, and what happened there? No, as a young kid, to be honest, footy was my... I played... I mean, I played every sport in the country, as country kids do, but probably football, basketball and cricket were the three that I felt maybe I'd have a shot at. Footy was definitely number one, and I've always said that. And the dream of playing, you know, when I went to St Kilda, I was playing seniors in Monthaggy when I was 15, um, and I always thought footy would be my go. But looking back now, um, you know, I played those games at, at that year. I think it was 86 from memory. I should have had a look when you rang me. Um, and then in the next season, I actually got selected in the Victorian and, and Australian under-19 teams. And from there, I got offered a scholarship to the Institute of Sport in Adelaide, uh, where the Cricket Academy was based. It's now in Brisbane. So cricket almost chose me over football. And then, to be brutally honest, after those three country permit matches, uh, I thought I did okay. I kicked a couple of goals against Carlton at Moorabbin. Uh, I remember playing Dean Gregg was actually playing for Hawthorne in the under-19s. I've got great memories of those, you know, illustrious three matches. But I... Don't think St Kilda had the same aspirations on me as I had on them. To be brutally honest, and and cricket chose me, and and, and that was that was pretty much it. So you were touted as basically being a little bit slow. There's no no possibility that was actually due to the local showers that happened down there overnight, and knowing that under 19s generally played reasonably early on in the day, I'd assume it was actually quite wet at that point in the morning. Yeah, no, it was, and it, I mean it was hard work, but. I mean, to, you, know, you look back now and I always wonder, now I've got kids and they say, Dad, do you think you could have played? I mean, I love my footy and, you know, I think my, my claim to fame back then was I was first Ruck Rover and Nathan Burke changed with Burke on the half-forward flank. Well, 
he went on to be a club legend and what a legend he was and and I never played a game. So, it's, you know, I'm one of those bloody what-if stories. Um, you never – I just don't really know. If I never made the cricket the uh, that off-season, would I have been invited back the next year? I don't know. But uh, I don't remember getting a call from Johnny or uh, from any of the coaches to say, hey, we, we really think you should choose footy. Whereas I played cricket with Robert Harvey at Fitzroy Doncaster when he was uh, – he's a bit younger than me, Bobby – and he was a very good cricketer. Uh, it'd be fair to say that the Saints were basically stopping him from playing cricket. Uh, that's a fair call because he is a champion. He's my favourite Saint. But they never did that with me, so I think the message is probably pretty strong. Too fat, too slow to go and stand behind the stumps. One thing John Beveridge did say, though, was that you had very good hands and your hands obviously carried you through that next phase of your career with the uh, with the glove work. That, that 97 tour, I know it's sort of a bit of footy involved in that, but you and Shane Warmer's obviously on that tour as another St Kilda supporter, and the Saints had that barnstorming run through the winter that led them towards the, the grand final. I imagine the Ashes series would have gone at least into August, sort of getting close to the finals. Uh, can you recall much about, I mean, it's 97, we don't all have iPhones and iPads to watch games and, and live stream, but were you guys able to, to follow the Saints a little bit over there during that run, or even during other tours you've had overseas to places like India, etc.? 100%, Dash, we, we did, and we all, Warnie and I were adamant about it to try and, you know, get hold of scores and wherever we could get some footage. In England, they sort of had an AFL show once a week, and we made sure we, we watched that. I mean, Warnie and I were the ultimate enough enough supporters, to be perfectly honest. Um, but we always wore our Saints footy jumpers. Occasionally, we'd have a cricket session. You're allowed to wear your footy jumper. Uh, and there was a strong – so that was with the, my brief stint with the Aussies – uh, in the Victorian team, there was a lot of St Kilda supporters. David Saker, Warren Ayres, um, you know, Simon O'Donnell when I first started was another former player down at the Saints. So there was a strong flavour and I distinctly remember watching the 97 grand final, sadly. Uh, we were in Darwin on a pre-season trip, the Victorian cricket team, and uh, at half-time and three-quarter time, you know, myself and David Saker and Warren Ayres were very excited and we thought the drought was broken. And then, unfortunately, uh, Darren Jarman stepped in and broke all our hearts. But I distinctly remember that being in Darwin in 97. Uh, and then I was in South Africa working as a cricket coach, ironically, then um, with the South Australian team uh, when the horrible bounce happened uh, to Stevie Milne. So... Yeah, I've been overseas following a couple of times and, and watched the heartbreak. But as you know, Dash, now I commentate the footy. I really love the footy and I commentate the football. I've worked with you a little bit and been lucky enough to do a few of the Saints games this year and I'm actually doing them this Thursday night against the Blues. Um, I like what I see at the moment. I think we've got some real speed and, and it seems to be going in the right direction. Under you, you often hear about players who athletes who play other sports, you know, often wearing colours of their footy club under, you know, whether it's jocks or socks or whatever. Did you ever ever sneak a, a red, white and black under your, your Vic unit, your uniform or, or anything like that? No, not on game day, I don't think I did. I never went that far. But we, we would regularly, you know, I had a Saints jumper and so did Warney and I had me you know, under-19 socks that I kept. So occasionally we'd pull them out of practice and especially if we had a win, you know, we'd pull them out of practice and run out onto the... Uh, the junction over where the Vicks were training back then when I was playing. So we do things like that. And, you know, we were pretty – one thing about St Kilda supporters, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of pain and we haven't had a lot of success, uh, ultimate success, I suppose. 
but the passion is strong. I reckon I've always seen that in all St Kilda supporters. And uh, Warnie and I flew that flag along with David Saker and Warren Ayres. Uh, there might have been one or two others. I'm forgetting. Dave Hussey. Dave, well, Dave Hussey was at the end of my career, and yeah, he's another another saint. And now, obviously. Glenn Maxwell, I get a bit upset, Darren, every time they pick a St Kilda footy team of uh, of cricketers and other sportsmen. Once again, you know, they never pick a wicket keeper, and I'm always left out of that. Uh, but Housey and Maxwell and all those guys get in. They always forget about that little fat bloke that played three games in the under-19s in 86. So, as you're saying, you've seen a few of the big games overseas or in, a, in another venue or just going, not, not being there, but... What what's a game that you go not being there as a commentator, as you say you're a commentator, but just as a fan, where you've been able to let yourself go, and it's just been a memory of a game that you go that that is the favourite moment you've witnessed live or anything like that. Um, yeah, good question, hard one. I, I suppose probably for the wrong reasons. The one that stands out is, as I said before, that '97 Grand Final uh, in Darwin because we were all. We had a day off to watch the final up there. And it would be fair to say the Saints supporters, we were probably getting ahead of ourselves at half-time and three-quarter time, and we felt that it was, this was it. And then when Jarman stormed over us, uh, even people that weren't barracking for the Adelaide Crows, the rest of the Victorian squad became Adelaide Crows that day because uh, Barry and Saker... I'm, I'm not remembering Warney being there, because he might have been away with the Aussies. But I remember Saker and myself carrying on like two Bob watches at the Saints. And, you know, I had one of these around my neck, of course. I had that on. I don't think I had this at this stage. For me, Rui 300. I don't reckon that was out. But uh, we were carrying on like two Bob watches and we thought we had the flag. So that one probably, I, I can still remember it today, like it was yesterday, sadly. Yeah, I was sitting at the top of the Great Southern Stand, unfortunately, that day as well. But, uh, you were the runner briefly. Um, you had probably a, a disagreement of sorts with, with Grant Thomas in regards to commitments. Can you can you take us through that? I think, was that about the same time that Shane Warne was serving his suspension and was helping the Saints out a little bit, or was that maybe a, a different year to that? Do you test in my memory, Dash? But what I do know is towards the end of my career, so it was early 2000s, uh, I'm not sure whether it coincided with Warney, uh, Warney's band, but... Um, I may well have done. Anyway, um, a, a friend through cricket was the actual runner for St Kilda. His name was Kent Hannon. I think he did it for a few years for the seniors. And he said to me that they needed a second runner. Was I interested for the Saints? And I said, yeah, bloody oath. It was towards the end of my career. So I thought it was a great opportunity in the off-season for fitness. Um, and as I got older, my fitness probably started to wane a little. So I thought, well, what a great opportunity. So they invited me down. And, and I did quite a few pre-season training sessions. Uh, I remember going to um, Ballarat, North Ballarat. I reckon we played a practice match up there and I run up there. So I'd sort of done the pre-season. I was reasonably fit, ready to go as the second runner, if you like. And, and Grant Thomas was the coach. And uh, as people know, I mean, Grant Thomas did a wonderful job, but he was pretty strong in what he believed in. And he asked me one day, I was actually doing the boundary line back then, Darren, just starting for Triple M. And I was the boundary rider. And Tomo must have got wind of it. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm doing the boundary for Triple M. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Anyway, he sort of forgot about it. Uh, and we went on through pre-season. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm going to be doing the bit. Season starts. And uh, I did round one against North Melbourne at the MCG. I remember it. 
I almost got caught inside 50, which would have been a free kick when they were kicking in. I had to run over the boundary line at the MCG. And it was a tougher job for, you know, you have to be pretty fit to do that job. And Tomo was quite demanding. Um, anyway, the game finished and Tomo said to me, Chuck, are you still doing that bloody Triple M stuff? And I said, yeah, I told you that. He said, no, you, you've got to make a decision. He said, uh, it's either this mob or you do the media. And I was a bit taken aback and I said to him, Tomo, um, I'm captain of the Victorian cricket team. What are you, what are you worried about? I'm not going to reveal any secrets. You have my 100% faith and trust, confidentiality, mate. There's no way anything that's said behind closed doors. No, no, no. He said, no, no, one, uh, no one at my club will be involved in the media. And to be honest, I was pretty upset. He said, I'll give you 24 hours to think about it. Now, most runners were getting a little bit of pocket money. I didn't want any pocket money to be down at my Saints. What a privilege it was to be the runner for the team. And, you know, Rui and Cozzy and Milne and all those guys um, I had a relationship with. Tom, I said, I'll give you 24 hours to think about it, Dash. He rang me back the next day. I still remember where I was. I was living in Surrey Hills. He said, what's your decision? I said, Tom, I can do both. He said, thanks, Chuck. See you later. That was it. I got the sack. Gone. <laughs> I was pretty pissed off, to be honest. <laughs> uh, he's not on my Christmas card list, Grant Thomas, but I think he did a, a wonderful job as coach. <laughs> you got the one game, I guess. <laughs> one game. All pre-season for one game. I spent my whole life wanting to play for him, boys, and it uh, wasn't quite good enough. And then I did me a pre-season to do one match, and then I got the arse as well. So... Again, it's probably the story of my life, to be honest. For, for a short, a short fat bloke, did you drop a few kegs during the footy preseason for one game? or? Yeah, yeah absolutely I did. Uh, and that was the main reason for it. Um, you know, the cricket, like, I was getting older. I was, so I was early 30s. So it was probably because I retired at 34. So I reckon it was in my last year, to be honest. And, um, and yeah, I lost a few kilos. And so it served a purpose in that respect. Uh, but I was pretty keen to, to do the season and then I got chopped off at the knees. So I remember at the time I was bitterly disappointed. So come on, Tomo, what was going on there? Do you get to get to many games these days at all or do you got other jobs at the moment that are keeping you away from it a little bit? Or what, what, are you able able to get there as a spectator and go, well, obviously not at the moment. That's impossible for anyone. Yeah. Um, but as a spectator, not calling the game, are you able to get yourself there at times? Yeah, I go whenever I can. But, uh, I mean, I, I do call football on K-Rock for the Geelong station, the old 3GL, K-Rock footy. And I tend to do two matches a weekend, so it does make it tough. And I've got a young family as well. Uh, but they're pretty kind. They try and roster me on to a lot of St Kilda games. So I'm sort of there working, but pretty lucky to be able to commentate. As I said, I did the game last week against Richmond. I did the Bulldogs match. I missed the Collingwood one, which was good. Uh, and then I'm on again this this uh, Thursday night to do the, the Blues match. So, you know, I, I see them a bit in that role. And then if I've got a free game and there's a Sunday game at Marvel or something, I'll I'll definitely go along. My oldest daughter's a St Kilda supporter, not as passionate as Dad. And then uh, my middle daughter's Geelong. I don't know what happened there. She slipped through the cracks. And then I've got a 12-year-old son who's playing football down at Mount Martha and they wear St Kilda colours, so that's a winner. Um, but to break my heart, boys, I don't know how this could possibly ever happen. He barracks for Richmond. So that's devastating. Uh, I got bragging rights uh, over the weekend, obviously. I was singing the song and I come through the door and uh, his words were, yeah, Dad, but you, you still haven't won a premiership in your lifetime and 
I'm 12 years of age and I've seen a couple already. So it'd be fair to say he had the last laugh, the little smart ass. He's only 12 and he got the last laugh on me. It's cutting. It's hopeful. Dessert, hopefully on the on the back of that. But uh, Chuck, thanks for, for jumping on. Hopefully soon the uh, the uh, boundary rider restrictions are, are lifted across the competition so I can get back to, to working alongside you and they let a few more staff at, uh, at games from, from AFL headquarters. But we might be a while off that given the way everything's going at the moment. But uh uh, it's great to, to speak to somebody that's uh, obviously had a passion for the game. You're a superstar in uh, in your own sport as well. But um, thanks for, for jumping on and, and joining us. Uh, thanks, boys. And fingers crossed, um, you know, we're right up there this year. I think we're heading in the right direction, but uh, we won't get too far ahead of ourselves like we did in 97. Uh, love the Saints. And uh, I'll be there commentating and unbiased commentary, of course, Dash, on Thursday night when we give the Blues a bit of a pantsy. Totally impartial. Thanks, mate. Hey, boys. That was Darren Berry. It is now time on the program for Unplug It to Go Global. We are taking a look at a bit of, bit of a fan focus on today's program. We spoke to Chuck Berry uh, a few moments ago. And Ollie Gill, uh, you would have heard his voice a lot over Australian radio uh, back in the day with a lot of colleagues of mine as well, but he's made a successful venture over to the UK, had the the joy of interviewing uh, Jurgen Klopp prior to the season, which is back a while ago now, and obviously Liverpool, a historic season for them, so a very timely interview, and uh, also a part now with BT Sports and, and Optus with a terrific program with, with Mark Schwarzer, but also the first uh, AFL program, uh, beamed uh, regularly overseas, and that is obviously the growing nature of the game that we are seeing. But uh, Ollie, thanks for joining us, and great to have the other uh, hot cross bun jumper circa '97 on the uh, on the front there. Yes, that's it. That's no, an absolute pleasure. Anything with pure milk on it has my tick of <laughs> approval. Um, but just while I, it, this might not sort of translate for listeners, but I'll just take a quick sip out of my drink bottle. <laughs> Uh, which has uh, my my favourite St Kilda podcast sticker on it. So it's an absolute pleasure to be on, guys. Thanks for coming on, mate. Making waves all around the world, Nick. (laughs) It's it's good to – we're we're internationally known these days. It's it's impressive for our little podcast. Absolutely. No, I I remember downloading one of your podcasts and listening to the tube on the tube because obviously – once you go underground, you can't connect to Spotify or anything. So downloading that and listening to a bit of Saints news on the underground. So it's it's a pleasure. So I appreciate you guys you doing this and um, you know leaving guys like me you know around the world being able to keep up to date with with all things St Kilda. It's awesome. So Ollie, before we get into your uh, St Kilda fandom, tell us a bit about what you're doing now. You've got the, the podcast with Mark Schwarzer, and and mm-hmm. as as I understand it, that the first standalone Australian show on international. TV. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, definitely. So um, I work with Optus here in, in London. So we do the, the podcast, then I go to, to games and, and um, you know, do sort of do sideline punditry and things there. But from an AFL perspective, BT Sport play the uh, – have been playing the AFL for about eight years now, but they've never done any content around it. And, and, and as you quite rightly said, um, Nick, it's, it's not been done outside Australia. So during this period <laughs> – there's virtually nothing else going on. So, you know, with the, the Premier League starting to come to a close, German football, which they have come into a close, it was a really great opportunity to reach out and go, well, let's throw caution to the wind, throw, throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And and we've um, yeah, been lucky enough to, to go for it. So we do one uh, one show and, and game a, a weekend and it's it's awesome. It's pretty elementary stuff. Like, you know, it's 
just sort of getting people used to the game over here. But it's good because if you get a player's name wrong, no one knows. So it's good. You just get to keep going. So pressure's off. So it's good. <laughs> I was going to ask, how did you go with explaining the game, explaining the concept of what it is we do over here is to to the locals and have, yeah. you've walked down the street in that jumper. Has anyone pulled you up and said, what are you wearing? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they, they can't get their heads around the fact that there's no sleeves. That throws people off, you know, a fair bit. Um, well, I suppose the hard thing is, the challenge from my perspective is to go, well, you know, for example, my best mate who lives here has been living in London for 15 years. So you've got people watching that are, that just, you know, have always loved the game and, and, and want to, you know, just watch it like they would if you're based in Melbourne or Tasmania or Adelaide or wherever. But then you're also trying to promote it to, to people that have never watched it before. So it's quite a difficult thing trying to, to walk that line. I think we do it, um, but it's a, it's a, it's a you learn every week because obviously if you're doing it back in Australia, you don't really have to start from the ground up there. You? you can just sort of, there's that assumption that people kind of know what, what you're talking about. So... There is a level of, of um, you know, you, you say, say for example, when we we're talking about um, the Hawks going to GMHBA, they go, well, they'll find it very difficult. And, of course, we all know why. You know, we understand that there's different dimensions to that ground. But here, football grounds are the exact same size no matter where they are. And so there's little things like that where you can take a little bit of a deep dive and, and explain as to why that is. I still personally don't understand why that is. I think they should probably all be the same size. I don't really know why. But you can you let them know. So yeah, that's sort of how we, we tow that line. Yeah. So and obviously now with uh, even the, the rolling fixture. I mean, over there in England, the, the Premier League fixture is relatively set. They're jamming games in now towards the end of the season, where teams are playing every sort of second or third day. But I would imagine that trying to explain something to English fans about Australian rules football that has never actually happened in Australian rules football before, like fixtures changing and game postponements and stuff yeah. like that, would be really difficult as well. Yeah, well, it's been, it's, it's good. I quite like it because obviously I'm a big fan of, of both codes. But what I've learnt since being here is the Premier League are very traditional. They're very, you know, a bit hoisy-toisy, nothing changes. So this is obviously, you know, for them, they go, well, what do we do? Like, this is huge. So it's good to see that, that the AFL are doing their best to just go with the flow. You know, I think we're all pretty much aware of that. Um, so I think, I always like to look at the positive in things, guys, and I think the positive will be, with this is we've given things a go, you know. Does shorter quarters work? Maybe at the end of things we might learn that it does, it might not. But, you know, it's just a good opportunity to, oh, I think from afar it's really great to see the AFL are just throwing it all up in the air and going, well, let's just see what happens. Let's let's give things a try. So for, forgetting the fact that, that you're in sports media yourself, what, what's it like being a footy fan overseas? I'm, I've travelled a fair bit. I've spent a fair bit of time in London during the footy season and, and you know, I used to go to the, the old... Shepherd's Bush walkabout to, to watch the footy. Sure. Where, where, I don't think that I don't think it exists anymore. From, from what I've heard. I think it does, mate. Don't worry. I think they've still got your picture up on the wall. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably unlikely. There's uh, a fair few don't of let him in. me there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, what, what's what's it like for for the average Aussie? You're walking around in London, yep. footy fan. Where do you watch games? How do you do it? Well, so you've got two options. I'm not going to give them too much love, but you can do the Watch AFL app. Um, but then my preferred is, is BT Sport, obviously. Um, and and we show a, a pretty much, I think there's maybe two games around that we don't get to watch. So you, you've certainly got a lot of ways to be able to physically watch it uh, in your house. I, as a fan, I actually really like it because obviously in Australia, being used to watching Premier League, it's frustrating. But there's, there's a... 
don't know, there's a charm in staying up late or going out and coming back and watching the 9pm kickoff or the 10pm, yeah. There's something about it that's quite fun. So here, I quite like on a Saturday morning waking up at 7am, you know, pot of coffee, Baileys, meat pie for breakfast, you know, all those little things. It's great. It's actually really good fun. The, the one that's a struggle is the grand final because that's on at about 3 a.m., I want to say. And so to be out um, yeah, we mentioned Shepherd's Bush there or some of the slug and lettuce, there's some of these places that play the games. For, for finals footy, that can be a bit tough. But for when you're watching it at home, I actually really, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I like it. So especially being a Suns fan, you get stitched up with a 4.40 on a Sunday, but you get to wake up on a Sunday morning at you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, this is actually all right. It's pretty good. So obviously you're trying to sell the game over there, but yep. are you trying to sell the Saints too? That's the question. Give, give us give us the spiel. Give us the, what, what do you tell them to say? Okay, come on, well, jump on. Well, this is the funniest thing because – I'm waiting to see how many weeks it takes for BT to realise, like, why are we still getting more St Kilda people on? Like, it's, I'm just slowly and, and gently, you know, I've got a, I can't turn my um, camera around, but I've got on the wall uh, the 140 years uh, commemorative jersey, you know, the one where we've got all yep. the, the players that have played and that's all signed, got that up on the wall. Every opportunity I'll suggest, you know, because I get to pick a game that we'll, we'll do, so we've got... Um, it's a bit late notice to do the to, to do Thursday's game after the, the fixture was changed, but we're doing um, the game the weekend week after, and you know, Jack Steele on, and just just suddenly, you know, without anyone noticing, just trying to push it as best as possible. Real like the, that episode of The Simpsons where they try to get people to join the Navy. It's a bit like that. <laughs> so just halfway through a sentence, I'll just go Saints. <laughs> and then continue, and but then no one knows. It's brilliant. Not playing, I'll win the Saints backwards, are you? And nothing like yeah, well, that. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're only four weeks in, Dick, so who knows? <laughs> well, subliminal, though, you mentioned the, the grand final. Obviously, a night grand final wouldn't be too bad. That would yeah. move it back to about seven or eight o'clock in the morning rather than, than three, I think. But um, I guess just a, a last one for me in terms of your background, who are your St Kilda heroes growing up? Obviously, you've now got access to a few of the guys, but probably a similar vintage to us growing up with Harvey and Hayes and Rewalt and, and these sorts of people, but who were uh, who were your heroes? Well, it's tough because, you know what, when people answer this, you're right. If you're from you know, this sort of age and era, if you've got probably four or five generally that we that we choose from. So I try and go up. Look, uh, Stephen Milne for me is, mm. is the one. Um you know, I love love what Rui Hubs and, and Hayes and, and even Aussie Jones was, was up there for me. But, you know, I'm a, a similar size. When we're playing footy, was, was, you know, I tried to emulate him and, you know, I've still got 44 as my favourite number and, and things like that. I just, you know, I actually, you know, I heard you guys talking about what's the channel, is it St Kilda Archive Games? The St Kilda Saints FC Archive. Yeah, that's it. So we heard about that game back on watch. Like I knew how good Milne was, but I just don't remember him being that good. Or, or weirdly enough, I just go, "Geez, that you know." For me, it puts the the small forward argument to rest. You know, Eddie Betts is just so good, but you know, and Charlie Cameron possibly could be. But watching what Milne was able to achieve, you know, he. He's, he was mega. He was he was he was a special one to watch for me, for sure. So last one from me, mate. What, what was it like growing up? Were, were you always a Saints fan? I, from what I understand, you you spent a bit of time in South Australia and Adelaide. How how did you come about supporting Saints? And was it a family thing, or, or what was that? Yeah, like? 
Absolutely. So my dad's great story for my dad. He grew up in uh, Moriarty, but it's near La Trobe, um, northwest Tasmania, and that's Darren Bordock country. And so he was like, right, I'll, I'll, I'll be a Saints fan. And Nan managed to go to the butcher where Daryl Bordock's parents worked. And they had a, a pair of boots, like proper pair of, like with nails, you know, for studs, that kind of thing that the Bulldog used to wear and gave them to, to Nan to give to Dad. And so um, it was sort of sparked from there. And my mum's was also a St Kilda fan. So, you know, it was pretty natural. But, yeah, lived in Adelaide for a couple of years. But, like, that obviously... Like, which was just hard because we were so shocking at playing at Adelaide Oval during that period. I'd actually love to go and play Adelaide right now in Adelaide Oval. It was brilliant. But during that period, it was just, geez, geez, it was run away to lose. But, you know, oh, I know. Well, that's true. But, you know, I was able to see Lenny Hayes' last game there. So there were there some pretty cool moments, that's for sure. Yeah. So we've seen Liverpool already this year. What, yep. what are our chances? What Do you think we can break the... <laughs> break the I mean, the good thing is that, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I think the good thing is that this year is a year for anything could happen. I think that's, that's pretty much, you know, that, that gives us a chance to hope. And I think watching what Rat said the other day is to, we're now two and two. You go, okay, now, now we can start the season again. I think we can all agree what, we, what happened against North wasn't, it doesn't represent what we think we can achieve in 2020. So I think now that we're level. And we've beat one of the big boys too, which I think really helps. You know, we, we, it wasn't the Crows, for example. We, we've proven ourselves. Who bloody knows, you know? Who, who, who knows? I just, if we can remain fit and we're you know, healthy and fit, I think I think they're the big ones. And you look at a Port and, and, you know, the way they play, I think they're, you know, they're not the best list, but they're young and they're, they're fit and strong. And so I think... If we can emulate that style, mate, who knows, fingers crossed we can be having this chat in late October, cracking a, a Baileys and a, and a pot of coffee at, at 9am, who knows? New Year's Eve grand final podcast, what do you reckon? Yeah, that's it, exactly. How good. How Whenever, good. Wherever a grand final's played in, in Perth or Darwin on the 18th of December or something bizarre like that. Or in Shepherd's Bush, that's next right. country, who knows? Yeah, we'll move it over there, we'll play it at Wembley or yeah. anything exactly. possible. But, but Ollie, exactly. thanks for, uh, for for jumping on with us and, and go Saints and well done with all the terrific stuff you're doing over there, kicking, uh, kicking plenty of goals. Thanks, guys. Not as many goals as you guys are. I'm absolutely loving it. So good on you. And thanks for my little uh, my little trinkets that I've got. I've got my um, stickers. I've got my uh, footy cards here, which is brilliant. And I've also <laughs> I've just lost him, but I've got a little Lee Montagna that found his way over here. It's a mini fig, wasn't it? Yeah. Pretty brilliant stuff. So I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mate. Have a good good on you, mate. Cheers. G'day Saints fans, um, yeah well, uh, you know, seven days and the response from the players was fantastic, um, you know, we, we were poor in the contest and today we, we matched Richmond in that space and uh, full credit to the boys, they, they did a fantastic job um, to get back to the football that we like to play and you know, that's really about how we are around the contest and then our ball movement and how well we're defending as well but um, yeah, for Dan Butler to get best player against his old team, uh, really encouraging but across the board, uh, you know, we were the um, 
second youngest team, but youngest team by games played this weekend. So that's really, really encouraging for you know, our future. And, and we're still building as a team. We've still got a, a fair bit of work to do, but we're taking small steps. And uh, today was just a, a good performance against a high-quality team. But we turn our attention to Carlton, which has snuck up on us. It's obviously a five-day break for us, just as it is for them. Both teams playing on Saturday. The game was supposed to be this Saturday at 1.45, but due to the uh, restrictions that mean Richmond can't fly to Queensland to play the West Coast Eagles, it means Richmond have now got to play Melbourne. Sydney will go to uh, Queensland and play West Coast instead, and we will play Carlton on a Thursday night. Uh, so the selection, I mean, Luke Dunstan would have been one in the frame to replace a potentially absent Zach Jones, but Dunstan injured, as we said, out for the majority of the season. Zach Jones racing the clock to be fit. Uh, at the time of this podcast, a decision may have been made, or at the time you listen to this podcast, rather, a decision may have been made on that already. So forgive us if that is the case. But, um, yeah, it does look at this point uh, unlikely, I would say, for, for Zach Jones to get up for that game. But um, fingers crossed he does. Any other potential changes? Obviously, Jaron Geary is in our best team and would likely play uh, if fit, which is another if. But, but, hey, starting with you, it's obviously hard to make too many changes, but that's that's one possible. Yeah, I'd keep him as minimal as possible. There's there's not much point changing a winning formula when you look at it. Um, the only reason you're bringing a player in is if they're doing well in the lower grade. But I'm not sure we had too much standout in the practice game between us and Richmond last week. And um, well, the kids, I think, Bytel and Burns are two that are in well, the, the best of, yeah. Um, which, yeah, as I say, there's a pretty slim pickings by the sounds of it. So, um, Bytel was kind of given a bit of a, a preview on the club's Facebook page earlier. They did have a picture of him and who's in the mix. So, was, whether that's giving a little bit of a hint away that he's very, very possible to be coming in or not. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I'd, I'd be trying to keep it as, as, as the same as possible. If if Jones doesn't get up, then, yeah, maybe do give someone like a Bytel a, a go to see how he goes. Yeah, I mean, Gear is the obvious one to come in. I think, like you said, Parker, he's, he's in our best 22. He, sh- he should be in there if he's fit. Um, it's just a matter of whether he's, whether he's healthy or not. Uh, but I think he probably comes in this week for for Jones. I think the the only other one really, I mean, you mentioned Bytel, but but we just haven't seen enough of him. Uh, last year he didn't play a lot, and, and you know he's had some some back concerns, injury concerns, and uh, you know I just don't know whether they've seen enough to to put him into the into the senior team. But uh, Jimmy Webster, another one, I think he was he was good in a scratch match a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the best against Collingwood. So he's probably. You know, one of the next in line as well, and you haven't heard much about Shane Savage. Was was a, you know, one of the the, the first picked because of his foot skills a, a couple of years ago. But uh, you know, haven't seen him so far this year, and not sure what's going on with with Savage. But um, you have to think that Geary, Webster, Savage, and, and then Bytel are probably the next in line, and obviously Paddy Ryder. You know, depending on matchups, if they want to go again with the, with the two rucks. Yeah, yeah but look at their tools. Yeah, yeah. Carlton's got um, Pitney, and uh, I guess Kesbolt would jump in there occasionally. It's it's they're that sort of one and a half ruckman kind of. And Pitney's been really good. He has, yeah, yeah and exactly. so has Kesbolt. Yeah. So they're that kind of one and a half ruck team. So whether we play that sort of one and a half ruck role as well, have Marshall playing half forward and um, Ryder mainly rucking, but 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I think, I think if Ryder plays, we have to play him mostly forward and Marshall mostly ruck. And I know both Ryder and Marshall probably play their best football in the ruck, but I'd be rather having Ryder, who's a, a nice kicker goal and at a reasonable mark, playing forward with Marshall as a young prodigy who is in the top three or four ruckmen in the comp uh, mm. playing in that role. Uh, as the as the permanent fixture, it's interesting for Carlton because they've got the two very talented young key forwards who are both injured in Charlie Curnow and, and Harry Mackay, and it's been some of the veterans, I guess, Levi Casbold, and, and not that Mitch McGovern's a veteran, but the guy they brought across from another club, those two have been playing pretty well for them. Uh, so it's a bit of a new look forward line for them with uh, obviously Gibbons and, and Eddie Betts back in that side. Gibbons was there last year, of course, but uh, those guys, you know, getting a bit of the footy for them in the in the front half, but Probably the one that, that needs attention, apart from Cripps, which is the obvious one in the middle, is Sam Doherty across half-back. He's been carving it up for Carlton. He'd be in all Australian form, coming off two knee recos, which is a, a great effort. So that might even be the role for, for Geary if he plays. Does Geary just tag Doherty like he did on Johannesson? Or does Josh Battle even potentially tag Doherty and try to make him accountable because you just can't let him chop balls off uh, the, the way he's been doing it? So, yeah, I mean... Cripps the obvious one, but but Doherty a guy that needs a lot of attention. You're spot on about Geary, and that that might be very well the, the reason why they bring him back in this week um, because of that role that he did on on JJ a couple of weeks ago against, against the Dogs. Um, you mentioned playing rider forward and and Marshall in the ruck, and I, I actually agree with you. It, it kind of seems a bit counterintuitive because I've been saying that you know the club rates Marshall really highly as a forward, but uh, I think Marshall being around the ball more, whether that's through the middle on the wings, uh, is really important. And one of the things that, that we lack when Marshall's up, you know, the, the lone ruckman is that kind of forward ruck um, because Marshall's tap work and his ruck craft isn't the best. But we've seen how dangerous Paddy Ryder can be when he's rucking up forward and, and the impact he can make, even when he doesn't have the opportunity to, to be in, you know, 20 or 30 um centre bounces or, or clearances or, or whatever, but his impact to be able to hit up small forwards and, and half forwards running towards goal from ruck contests can be really important. And I think Marshall lacks a little bit in that regard, even though he, he does hit the scoreboard playing as a ruckman resting forward. Um, and, and we saw even even when he didn't rest forward, you know, he's the lone ruck last week against, against Richmond, he still kicked a couple of goals and, and he always pops up because he runs so hard forward that he's dangerous pushing forward as a ruckman, whereas as a resting ruckman, I think Ryder might be a little bit more dangerous there. So uh, I really agree with with that perspective of playing Ryder forward and, and Marshall in the ruck. Um, one question I have is, is whether Steele, who's been really good as a ball winner so far this season, whether he goes back to a bit of a defensive role on Cripps because it was one area, he was one of the few players that, that was able to get on top of Cripps at times last season and over the last few years playing as that that really key defensive midfielder. Steele was was one of those few guys who got on top of Cripps at times. And I wonder if if uh you know he's the guy to go to Cripps again this week. It sounds like probably it's the the obvious answer. Um I think I suggested last year possibly that that could be a role for someone along the lines of battle. He it could be a position that he starts looking at when we get against these big midfielders that are um, in there and hit hard and that sort of thing. It's, it's He has speed. He has strength. He has the ability to get his own ball around the midfield. So it's kind of a position that could be possibly looked at before him 
instead. Um, as you're saying, Steele's winning the ball himself. He may as well get on one of them chasing him um, if he's winning his own ball and try, trying to make them accountable for him. And then, I don't know, you may end up with that three three-man tag going in a circle kind of thing that can happen that can happen sometimes. It's yeah, it's just a matter of I guess who they also look at going who's gonna step on next to who as well. Yeah, they've been they've been all right this year, Carlton, so it's obviously not going to be easy. I mean they got blown out early by Richmond in round one, but their last three quarters were pretty good. They outscored the Tigers by about four goals after quarter time from memory. Then we had the break. They were terrible for half a game against Melbourne and then dominated the second half and, and lost by a point. A terrific win over Geelong. They only won by two points, but they were seven goals up at three-quarter time or close to it in that game. So uh, that was a pretty convincing win, all things considered. And then obviously beating Essendon last week in a what looked like an ugly game, but again, they will probably the better side. They don't look like a team that's going to kick 100 points in a game. Um, but it's certainly more for the death by a 1,000 cuts with them. But we played them twice last year, beat them, I say, fairly comfortably at Marvel. It was only 13 points, but we controlled the game. And then they beat us at the MCG later in the year, and, and they controlled the game even though it was tight. So uh, a lot of changes to both sides since then, but a uh, really important game, probably the biggest St Kilda Carlton game in a while. Uh, generally, either one or both of us have been really struggling, but we're, we've both got a bit of momentum. So it's uh, it's important. So I'd say you've got to go back to even 2011 or 2012, maybe to find a, a game where we've both been going reasonably well at the same time. But fingers crossed we can keep the momentum. I think the shift to Marvel helps us. Hopefully Zach Jones gets up, but if he, uh, if he doesn't, then um, obviously we're Hopefully we've got the, the adequate coverage there to, to find a way to get through this game. And then the fixture as it stands now says we play Geelong and Port Adelaide after that, but that can change. We'll, we'll probably wait till Monday morning to find out who our next opponent is. There's every chance that that's different, although we could certainly play Geelong if you're allowed to keep playing in Victoria. But we'll, uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But how's the confidence levels? Um, it's, a, it's a game that we look at and think, okay, we should should win with our new the new lineup we have with the way we've played last week if we play like that we beat them um if we play like we played against Collingwood then yeah we're in a little bit of trouble but Carlton haven't put four quarters together yet we have done that if we can do that basically in their downtime that's when we need to hit them hard so a four quarter effort we can get them um but otherwise yeah we it's not being at the MCG now too, because most of the games in MCG seem to have been pretty average. Um, I don't know yeah. what it is about the MCG this year, but all the games that have been played there have haven't been great spectacles. Um, whereas under the roof, the football's been fast, football has been skillful. They've been actually pretty good games. So it's yeah, it's a one upside, I guess, to it being moved there as well. All all things being equal, I think. I think we win. I think what we have to be careful of is that we can't allow Carl to control the ball like Collingwood were able to do against us. I think if we can if we can at least break even, then I think our our pace, our speed, and our so far this year precision foot skills will, will be able to, to get through them pretty easily. I don't think they're the best defensive team in, in the competition at the moment, but you know they're a bit like us in that they're they're kind of up and coming. They're they're still working out who they are and what their footy, football identity is. Um, they will probably have the best football player on the on the ground in, in Cripps. Cripps will probably be the best player on the ground during the game. But I think our team is better, um, and I think that I think that we gel better. I think that 
when we're on, we play better team football. And I think we've shown that um, over the last kind of three or four weeks, uh, especially, as, you know, you look at the Bulldogs and the, the Richmond games, I think we play better team football. And, and when we do that, we win. Um, so all being equal, I think we win. Everything going right, I think we win. And even if, even if you know, they do have the best player on the, on the ground, which I think they probably will, I think we still win. Um, but it's really up to us to, to control the ball, keep possession, not give it back to them cheaply and easily like we did against Collingwood and, and really make sure that, you know, we, we control the game and, and play the game on our terms and not how they want to play the game. Um, that's going to be the most important thing. But, yeah, if I had to tip right now, I'd probably say, you know, three or four goal wins in Kilda at Marvel. Yep, searching for consistency, which hopefully we find this week. All of that has been for Marbled Meats. They have you covered. You can head in store at 291 Chesterfield Road in Bentley. Easter reminder that you can order online with our promo code PLUGGER. That'll get you 10% off your order and also free delivery on any order that is over 80 bucks. A ton of locations available there all around Melbourne and, of course, Mornington Peninsula. So you can head to marbledmeats.com.au and remember that promo code PLUGGER. Marble Meats bringing the classic butcher back to the suburbs of East Bentley.